But yeah, that, that vulnerability um, is a big thing because I know now that when people are vulnerable, other people really seem to respect it and accept it. And if they don't, if they use that vulnerability to like try to bring you down, they're just jerks. Welcome to episode 24 of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater take center stage in lives they love. I'm your host, Emily Stamets. My guest today is Margaret Dilloway. Margaret is the author of eight novels for adults and children, including the American Library Award-winning Momotaro, Xander and the Lost Island of Monsters, and The Care and Handling of Roses with Thorns, and also The Summer of a Thousand Pies, which we talk about a lot in this um, episode and during our conversation because it was published the same month that we chatted back in April of 2019. Margaret writes in the genres of contemporary and historical women's fiction, middle-grade fantasy, and middle-grade contemporary. Uh, Descended from samurai and coal miners, Margaret incorporates themes about the intersections of race, class, and culture within families and communities, as well as invisible disabilities. In her spare time, she loves to perform long-form improv, which we talk about a lot, as well as she she also likes to hike, bake, and tries to achieve a pull-up on a regular basis. She lives in San Diego with her family, not too far from me, and one of the things that we chat about is Julian, California, which is a small historical gold mining town up in the the mountains of San Diego County, which also happens to be both the setting of her newest novel, Summer of a Thousand Pies, and also is the town where my husband grew up. So we talk a little bit about that, and just a note, we also talk about some of the pie shops that are in Julian, and uh, I just want to be super clear with everybody that I am a pretty hardcore Mom's Pies loyalist. However, all of the pie shops in Julian are amazing, and you should frequent all of them as often as possible, and even if you are not you don't share my loyalty to mom's pies, we can still be friends. And also, if you are on your way up to Julian ever, please let me know because I live on the highway that is the best highway to get there, and I would love to have coffee with you on your way up or down. (laughs) All right, one other thing that we talk about is the Herald, which I just want to make sure everyone knows that is a long-form improv structure that is, it was popularized by Del Close, Charna Halpern, and the Upright Citizens Brigade. Oh my gosh, that word is hard to say. Um, If you are curious, it's really easy to to do a Google, do a YouTube, um, watch some examples. It's pretty outstanding stuff most of the time. Um, Also, a thing that I do, that I did when I was editing this interview, um, often my guests take their time to answer questions. And I often edit out that silence or what my educator friends would call wait time. Um, And I didn't in this case because the pauses I felt were so beautifully pregnant and just sort of... um, I don't know. I just wanted to sort of keep the pace of the conversation. Margaret is an incredibly thoughtful 
person. She's careful with her words. Um, and I feel like the amount of time that she spent thinking and considering her answers, I really wanted to honor that. So there may be some long pauses throughout the course of this episode, and please know that I left those in intentionally. Um, and I, I hope that you get as much out of those sort of really beautifully poignant moments of silence as I did. Okay, <laughs> that's enough for me. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode and my conversation with Margaret Dillaway. Here we go. Um, thank you so much for taking time this morning. I appreciate it. Sure. I appreciate you having me on. Amazing. Um, let me just make sure that I am pronouncing your name correctly. It is Margaret Dillaway. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect. Yes. Um, and you prefer she, her, her pronouns. Yes. Perfect. Amazing. Okay, great. Well, let's dive right in. You ready? Yes. I want to start with a couple questions about your, um, like that are not the, like the, the standard questions for the interview, if that's okay. okay. Um, just like a general, uh, idea. I love that you talk about how improv has helped you with anxiety and you mm -hmm. need a couple specific things. Um, being comfortable with the unknown, letting go of the fear of failure, trusting yeah. yourself and others. Can you talk a little bit about that? Let's just like warm up with that. Sure. Um, so I've always had kind of social anxiety and generalized anxiety ever since I was little and it manifested by me not being able to talk to people in class, uh, my peers very well. I was always afraid of saying the wrong thing. I would always freeze up. And so that's been like a problem off and on throughout my whole life. And my daughter has it too. So I know it's like a genetic thing. Mm -hmm. um, but doing improv has allowed me to become comfortable with that fear. Like I might still have it, but I am now used to um, kind of working through the anxiety. Like I know it's not going to stop me. Like before it would stop me from doing things that I wanted to do sometimes. And now I know that... I'm not going to die. <laughs> and I'm more comfortable being myself because I've been the most fully myself on stage, I think. And I've gotten support from people. Like people haven't shunned me for like saying what's on my mind. Like it was probably some kind of subconscious fear I had in the past. So you get that support that you don't always get in real life. You don't feel um, judged. Or at least I don't. I know sometimes people are judging you by laughing or not, but <laughs> I, know, I know that like if they don't laugh or if I do something and it doesn't work out, then it's not the end of the world. We'll just move on. And nobody thinks uh, twice about it. Like, I don't think people are whispering behind my back and saying, remember that one time Margaret did that weird thing in the show? <laughs> we don't like her anymore. Like everybody has those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing about improv is that uh, you really do move forward from it, right? Like it's, you do this thing right now and then in two minutes, it's going to mean very little that that thing, yeah. that joke didn't land or whatever. Right. You, and I know for myself as an audience member, I um, often don't laugh at things that I find funniest. I'm like the worst oh, really? audience member ever. Yeah. But then I will laugh uproariously at things that are just surprising. Like, it's not necessarily funny, but I'm like, oh, that was, 
that was unexpected. And that will make me laugh out loud. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm like the worst opposite audience <laughs> member of anything. Like I would not want me, I would not want an audience full of me if I was performing. Do you remember, do you remember the funny things later and then laugh about them? Like, Oh, yeah. that's a good question. Yes. Yes. So like, you know, if we, if I went to see improv and then went out for like drinks or pie afterwards, I don't know why I always think of pie with improv, but I do. Really? Um, yeah. I think that there was like an improv that I used to go to up in LA that was right next to the house of pies or something. Oh. Um, and that, that was, so they're like intertwined in my head since high school. Um, but yeah, I think that then if I was talking about it afterwards, I would remember the funny things and I would laugh at them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, it's, for me, it's a good thing to remember that just because they're not laughing doesn't mean they don't think it's funny or they're not enjoying themselves. It just means that they're not laughing. Like that's yeah. literally the only thing it means if they're, if the audience isn't laughing. That's true. Awesome. Well, I love that. And I love what you said about, like, it's not about getting rid of the fear or becoming fearless. Like I have, um, I have very strong feelings about fear that it's actually more powerful for us to embrace it and feel it and, um, and just like accept it as a part of life. So it never goes away, but Mm -hmm. we can learn to move through it and use it. And like you said, like, just know that, oh, I'm afraid, but it doesn't mean I'm going to (laughs) die, which is awesome. Yeah, I think before, you know, you might feel because of anxiety that every situation was a situation where you might actually perish if something went wrong. And it was like your brain is a little uh, wired differently in that way. So it's a, a matter of being able to parse out what's actually dangerous and what's not. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful. Um, you're a novelist. Yes. It's so cool. And you have a children's book coming out next year in 2020. Yes. And I have one coming out this month. Oh my gosh. Oh, super exciting. Um, Your your one coming out next year is is in specific about a young girl dealing with anxiety and uh, a heart condition. Yes. What's the one coming out this month about? Um, it is. I'll show it to you. <gasps> yeah, show me. <gasps> the Summer of Pies. a Thousand... Oh my gosh, pies! Oh, this is the <laughs> theme of this conversation. It's called The Summer of a Thousand Pies, and that cover art is gorgeous. Yeah, they did a really nice job. It's an artist named Katie Daisy. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of really distinctive, beautiful art like this. Really, really pretty. And what is this one about? Um, this one is about a, a girl who is dealing with her father being in jail mm-hmm. and they've been uh, homeless off and on for her, her whole life. And she's sent to live with her aunt who she's never met in Julian. Oh my gosh. What? Okay. So fun fact, my husband's aunt. So my aunt-in-law owns mom's pies in Julian. Oh, okay. We are the mom's pies family. <laughs> what? what? The world is so what? Small. I know. I know. Also the warm hearth up there. Anyway, I probably won't add to the podcast. It sounds like I'm plugging our family businesses, but you really should go to them because they're awesome. <laughs> yes, I love mom's pies. Um, okay. in, in the book, I made all the pie shops fictional because I didn't want to like seem like I'm favoring one or the other or anything. So I think There's I- some, like real pie loyalists up in Julian. Yeah. You're either like a Julian Pies company or a mom's pies and yeah. people get really, they have strong feelings about them. <laughs> yeah, so- so the pie shop in my book is totally fictional. Like Perfect. it exists in a place that doesn't exist. Like um, 
up a street behind like a real estate office or something. Um, so yeah, so the pie shop is in trouble mm-hmm. and the main character, Katie, um, is dealing with all the trauma of having been through all this stuff and she learns how to bake. And her aunt says, well, it takes so many hours of practicing anything to become good at it. And maybe if you baked a thousand pies, you'd be a good baker. And so she starts having that as her goal and she makes friends and uh, comes up with a plan to help save the pie shop. And she watches a great British bake-off and (laughs) becomes a great British bake-off super fan. And yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of heavy topics in it too. Like um, there's an undocumented family in it that where the boy becomes her best friend that I included because it's, uh, it's such a, a topic that we deal with every day in San Diego. And personally, uh, my daughter was dating uh, a young man who had been brought here into the U.S. when he was just a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were trying to help him and dealing with that as a family. Um, but there's a lot of lightness in it, too. So I think it's a good mix. and. I actually think adults will like it too because of the topics. Also, I mean, I'm definitely going to yeah. read it. I love, um, but I love YA. So I'm uh, a big, I read across the entire library. I try to read something yeah. from diff- every different section. Um, maybe not so much all of the, all of the nonfiction sections. Like I'm not that interested in accounting, but everything <laughs> else in the library I'll read. So I'm going to make sure that my library has your book on the list for it, but I'm, I'll also purchase a copy at my local bookstore. We have a nice okay. little local bookstore. Okay. So that's, that book sounds amazing. Um, so definitely check that out. And then, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the one that's coming out next year as well? Sure. That one is called five things about Ava Andrews. (laughs) And it's about a sixth grade girl who's been dealing with social anxiety her whole life, much like myself and my daughter. And so, uh, her best friend moves away. And her best friend was the extrovert who always got her to do everything. So now she's in a middle school, new environment, and she has to figure out how to navigate everything by herself. Um, And one of the things that happens is she starts taking an improv class because this girl invites her to. Mm -hmm. And her parents want her to prove that she can uh, do things on her own because she wants to fly across the country to visit her best friend in the summer. Perfect. And then that one also has um, another kind of political activism element. Uh, It it takes place in Seaport Village, again, in a a fictional improv theater. I don't know if you know this, but Seaport Village is being redeveloped. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they are um, planning to get rid of Seaport Village and build like a 45-acre new complex with hotels. And um, they're going to take out that park you know that they call the thumb mm-hmm. and put in like villas where people can stay that are kind of fancy and luxury shops and there's just going to be a courtyard there instead of open space um I don't know what's going to happen to the carousel but I looked at the plan and they had to redo some of it because of some uh underground issues and there's going to be an aquarium so it's a it's also a book about what happens when there's gentrification mm-hmm. and the the kids 
um, try to stop that by having this improv video that goes viral and bringing attention to the issue. So the girl in the book has a heart condition and the heart condition worsens if she's anxious. So she needs to also find a way to deal with her anxiety and she starts doing improv and much like myself, um, finds that it, it really helps her and she starts applying things that she's learned in improv to different situations in her life. So she's able to participate as much as she wants to. That is amazing. That one's definitely going on my list for next year as well. That sounds incredible. <gasps> Thank you for writing about important things. Um, I mean, maybe that's a silly thing to say, but Oh yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, when I just think when I think about how difficult sixth and seventh grade were for me, I can't imagine adding social anxiety on top of that. Uh It was already like I thought I was gonna die every minute of every day. Um, so (laughs) like just like adding on top of that an actual anxiety um issue would be so much more challenging. So thank you for tackling that topic. And hopefully this book will get into the hands of the fifth, sixth, seventh graders who need it. Yeah. Is that the is that the reading level that it is like that? Yes. It's perfect. ages eight through twelve. Awesome. Yeah. And I taught sixth grade reading okay. for a long time. So it I don't anymore, but it would have been on my bookshelves for sure. Um cool. Okay. So talk about how what's your story? Like how did you where did you come from? And like, not like the location wise, but where, where did you start? How did you get into improv? And I want to know about how you got into writing as well and maybe how those inform each other. Oh, sure. Well, I've been pretty much writing my whole life. Like I've always been a writer because I've used it to figure out how, what I think about things and it kind of affects how I view the world. Like I want to explain that to people and in explaining it, I explain it to myself. Um, And then I've also used it for entertainment purposes. Ever since I was a kid, I would write things and people would think they were really funny. And that was how, because I had social anxiety, how I kind of got positive attention um, from my brother and from my classmates. I became known for writing in elementary school because of my teachers who shared that with people. Um, so that was always a really big part of my, my self-identity. And in college, I majored in art because I didn't have a creative writing major, among other things. And despite that, after college, every job I took turned into a writing job somehow. I made it into a writing job. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like I, I worked as an administrative assistant at a Bluetooth company and it turned into me saying, we need a book called Bluetooth for Dummies and uh, selling it and writing it with the, the support of the company. And so I got like moved to technical writer instead of uh, administrative assistant. Um, and then I just started freelancing. Once I wrote the, the Bluetooth book, I knew I could write a full-length book, which I had been kind of scared of before. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things about me earlier was that I would write something and then I wouldn't want to reread it and edit it and revisit it. Um, that was just a, a block for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really difficult. But once I did the Bluetooth book and I, I knew I could do that, I started tackling longer works of fiction. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was just like freelancing. I had two little kids and I was 
mostly just staying at home and trying to work on novels. But I didn't sell one until later. Um, so I think I, I worked, I started working on stuff around 2002 and 2003. And then in 2008, I sold a novel. That's fantastic. Tries. Yeah. That's not that long. Five years in yeah. the, in the writing industry is mm-hmm. um, comparatively short for what some authors have to wait to be published. Right. <laughs> um, so I see a link. Well, I'm curious if you've done scene study, have you done? Yes. Um, okay. And how does that, cause I'm just like, I'm seeing the yes. link between oh, yeah. the block of like editing and revising. Right. And then um, being drawn to improv. Yes. I took theater in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Scripps College. I took it at Pomona. Fantastic. College. And I grew up after- in, I went to Claremont High School. I grew up in Pomona. It's like, oh, my okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many links. I know it's weird. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then after college, I did do some acting. I studied at South Coast Rep um, and I did a couple plays and then I wrote a play, which was in a festival and I wrote another play, which got in another festival. Um, so yeah, I did do scene study and, and everything. So does that, um, how do you like that coming back to the same material again and again to work on the same scene compared to improv? I'm just curious if there's like a connection with your writing. I think there's a, a big connection in that um, acting taught me how to really get into a character's skin. Mm. And I often write in first person and I think of it as getting into the character's skin. So I, I, I think like the character I have to think about um, conveying, showing and not telling a lot, which you have to do in theater, mm-hmm. right? Um, it doesn't really work if the character's just like, oh, I'm really mad right now. Like you, how do you show that you're mad? What do you feel inside? And then with novels, you have the additional luxury of um, showing the inner thoughts and the feelings and the, and the physicality um, that they feel inside mm-hmm. instead of just externally. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, so how do you interconnect it? It is. It absolutely is. It's all storytelling, right? Yeah. It's all exploration of the human condition mm-hmm. to get wordy about it. Um, so give us a snapshot of what your days look like now. Well, I have to take my kids to school and then I come <laughs> home and I work. I, I have various projects that I'm working on. I'm on deadline for one, the improv book I have to do more edits on. And so I, I usually like write until the afternoon and then I take a break. I do whatever I need, I need to do, like walk the dog. And then um, in the afternoon, I work on my other projects or research or something like that. I like to have multiple projects going on because I don't know which one will sell. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, and I like to have the variety. Mm -hmm. Um, And when do you do improv? How often do you get to do that? uh, I do it at least once a week. 
So I'm in level six at Finest City Improv and we just formed the team. So we're going to continue on after that. We've already booked our first show. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, So that's been really fun. And I really like the group of people that we ended up with. And then um, I'm working on sketch right now too. So I'm working on a a sketch show that I'm producing. Um, That will be on Mother's Day. It's a Mother's Day themed sketch show. Awesome. So you have, you have just lots of projects going on. That's great. Um, How do you stay motivated? I work with writers a lot. Uh This is the question I get a lot. How do you stay motivated to write every day? I don't know that I am motivated to write every day, but much like going to a job where you might not want to work every day, you kind of have to work every day. Mm -hmm. So I just think of it more as a job. So I'm not always waiting for inspiration to strike. And I think that sometimes if you feel blocked, the only way to, to, uh, to work through that is to actually sit down and try to write something, anything, because you can't edit a blank page. You could, you can uh, write something and have it not be very good and change it later, but you'll probably get one step closer to where you need to be. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I love that idea of get something done, even if it's not good at this point. Right. And it, it also going through that process, you're going to know whether this was the right next step or whether like this, it, is this actually what my character does next? <laughs> so then yeah. you have something to work with. Yes. I think a lot of times people are afraid of, uh, of writing the wrong thing. And mm-hmm. that's another thing that improvs helped me with. Like, um, I don't really get blocked because you, I can like tap into that subconscious, like, oh, I'm just going to make stuff up and things will keep coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Into the flow. Do you have a, like a minimum number of words or pages that you try to write every day? It depends on what's going on. Like if I have a deadline, I definitely do have a minimum number of pages. Um, otherwise, not really. I don't, I don't always do that because sometimes, like I said, the words do come easily and then I might write like five or 10 pages a day. And then sometimes they don't come easily. Um, and I only write like one page and I don't want to beat myself up over it. And I think that sometimes also you need to have some time to let ideas percolate. And in those instances, you might want to go, go to the gym or do something else creative, like bake a cake or paint a, a picture or something something else that is still creative, but could open up yourself to your, your writing ideas. Yeah. For me, um, I find that gardening is a really good, like unblocking activity. There's something yeah. about like just getting my hands into the dirt that if I'm stuck or I feel like, like I'm just like beating my head against a wall, mm-hmm. um, then just like getting my hands in the dirt for a little bit. And literally like I can spend 10 minutes just sticking some seeds in the ground and things will open up. It's a pretty magical process. I love that. <laughs> but I don't paint or anything. So maybe if yeah. I was a painter, I would do that instead. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think it matters what you do. Like you could just take a shower. I, a lot of people get really good ideas in the shower, myself included. I've heard that. I've heard yeah. um, it has something to do with like the negative ions of running water or something that they like, oh. un, un, they, they re-neutralize your electrical charges or something. I'm sure there's someone out there who can give us a more specific answer, but I've heard that, which is also why being around mountain streams or waterfalls is so oh, right. too. Yeah, science. <laughs> um, tell us a vivid memory that you have of the theater. There was a, a show we did recently where I had my best show ever. I recently made an improv breakthrough. Um, and I was doing a lot of object work and I had everything set up in my, I was doing like a farmer's market stall and everybody could see what I was doing and it was very clear. And I had this big character and I just went out there without fear and it just felt like, it felt like flying and I felt really connected to my scene partner. And uh, like afterwards, people were like, that was amazing. And I felt like a celebrity or something because people like wanted to like talk to me. Um, <laughs> So it doesn't happen very often, but I think that's my most, my most vivid theater memory. What is, what was the breakthrough? Um, well, in, in class, my, our teacher was giving us stuff to work on and she said that she felt like I was holding back. And I was like, I don't think I'm holding back. Am I holding back? I don't think I'm holding back, but uh, maybe I was. And I, and sometimes I was getting a little bit in my head and thinking, oh, is this, we are setting the Herald, mm -hmm. which is a, a very, I guess it's when you start, when you study the Herald, it seems like it's rigid and you have to think of all these things beforehand. Um, and then when you get into it, you can let go of that part. So I, I think I was a little bit in my head and then I thought, well, I like these people in my class. I trust these people. I'm just going to do whatever and trust that I can uh, follow through with it. So I would come at that time. I came out without having a real idea. I just had like a movement of the character and the stance of the character and then created everything right then. Um, so, yeah, I think that I, I just decided I was going to trust myself and not worry about anything else. Wow. Do you think you would have been able to get to that point of trusting yourself if you didn't trust your classmates so much as much? Um, maybe not. I think that has a lot to do with it because I knew that if I did something, I don't know, that maybe I would think was weird. They, they would just say, come in and support it mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did... I did go to some open jams and I was still like that. I was going to ask, that was my next question is, yeah. did, it, did your work change after that moment? Yes. Like I felt like, I, I don't know, maybe I had like imposter syndrome before or something. And now I don't. And I was just like, I am the improv person. Um, <laughs> so, and I just realized that, if I'm having fun, then everybody else around me 
starts having fun too. Mm-hmm. And, and so I didn't worry about like what was going on in my head so much. I tried to like um, have my energy flow outward to other people, I guess. And yeah, so it's been working really well for me. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> if we could all have a breakthrough like that, like every couple of years, it would be fantastic. Yeah. Life would just be better. <laughs> so what's the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? Well, I think that's probably the most important lesson is, is trusting yourself, trusting your your personality, like that you are enough. I think so often we're worried that we're not good enough or smart enough or can't rise to the occasion or worry about people judging you or what the outcome will be instead of just really being in the moment, um, which improv teaches you to do and theater teaches you to do. And really just being present and listening to the other person. Mm -hmm. What are a few skills or habits of mind that have been the most valuable to you as, I'm just going to go with artists. I sometimes ask about craftsperson. I mean, I guess writing is also a craft. So let's go artist or craftsperson. And this could be in your writing. It could be in your theater work. It could be as a parent. But what's been most helpful? The habit of establishing consistency. Oof. Can you just like beat that into my head? (laughs) (laughs) So I think no matter what you do, if you're consistent about it, you'll see results. So if you want to write a book, it seems like it's going to be a huge project that you'll never be able to finish. And if you think about it like that, you'll get stuck But if you think, if I just write a thousand words a day, then eventually I'm going to have a book or just one page a day. And in like 200 days, I'm going to have a book. Um, And if it's a middle grade book, it could be even shorter than that. So, and then if you're exercising, um, you know, if you keep doing it, on a daily basis, you'll you'll start seeing results eventually, and gardening too, mm-hmm. right? Um, so consistency with anything is probably the most uh, valuable life lesson I've I've learned from creating art and writing, and that applies to parenting and work and everything. Yeah. Anything else? Are there any skills maybe that have been valuable to you as an artist? And you're an artist. You're a multi-art artist. (laughs) You've got writing, you're painting, you're performing. Being in theater really teaches you how to listen. And I think uh, one of the most important ones that I've learned is how to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something we, we've been working on a lot in improv classes. And that probably also had something to do with my social anxiety before I was anxious to let people 
see who I was inside for like fear of rejection. Um, and so when you kind of embrace that vulnerability, your work gets so much better. And I do it in writing now. Um, well, I've always tried to do it in writing. And writing is a little different because it's on the page, right? And so there's some distance between it. I'm not having a face-to-face interaction with you in real time when I'm writing. Um, but yeah, that, that vulnerability um, is a big thing because I know now that when people are vulnerable, other people really seem to respect it and accept it. And if they don't, if they use that vulnerability to like try to bring you down, they're just jerks. And <laughs> now that doesn't bother me anymore. I'm just like, whatever, just rolls over me. That's great. And then you know who to like move away from in your life, right? Who to spend right. the time with. <laughs> right. And I think that's another really good thing that um, I've been learning is that I've, I'm now able to recognize um, kind of more toxic people and those toxic relationships and be like, I don't want that. Um, whereas before, because I didn't have that really clear mindset about the vulnerability, I might've just accepted that and thought that's how things were. Mm-hmm. Now that I've seen like something better, <laughs> I guess um, I, I know that I, I don't have to, to accept that kind of behavior. Yeah. You're better than that. You deserve better. We all do. Yeah. Um, Okay. Should theater be required life curriculum? Yes. Why? (laughs) (laughs) When I was researching my improv book, I talked to a lot of improvisers um, who deal with anxiety because there are a lot of them. And one of the ladies I talked to runs an improv for bullying nonprofit in Chicago. Mm -hmm. and she just told me about how it helps kids learn social skills and it helps the bullies be empathetic and it helps the kids who tend to get bullied stand up for themselves and be more assertive and I think it's so good for introverts or extroverts because if you're really really extroverted and tend to talk a lot and maybe talk over people. It teaches you to leave that space for other people and to listen. And then for introverts, it teaches them that, uh, that they can also speak up when necessary. So I think that it's just a really good skill for everybody to have. I think everybody should take improv. I think it would solve a lot of problems in the world. I completely agree. I kind of think someone who's good at improv is probably just always a really great conversationalist as well. Partly yeah. because of what you're saying, because the, the listening, the leaving space for each other, yes. the coming in and inhabiting the space that's been left for you, which is, I'm yes. an introvert. And I think that's the thing that I sometimes forget. Because if there's no space, it's so yeah. easy to just stay here. Yes. Right. Keep listening. Yeah. And there's that yes ending mm-hmm. for the conversation. Like uh, if you talk to an introvert or an, I mean, an improviser, um, they'll yes and you, like they'll, they'll say yes. And then they'll like build on what you said, mm-hmm. which a lot of times doesn't happen in real life. A lot of times you talk to people and they're just like, okay. And they move on to whatever they wanted to say. Um, 
So yeah, I love being friends with improvisers. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you friends with a lot of improvisers? Do you like hang out yes. with your improv group? Yes. In fact, uh, one of the, the ladies I met at the theater actually has a child the age of my youngest daughter and they go to the same school and she lives in my neighborhood. So now we're friends. We've done stuff together and her daughter is her friends. That's amazing. I know something that I, as I, so I moved um, a couple of years ago and it's been, it's been lonely. It's been, um, a challenge to figure out how do I make friends as a grown-up, especially as a grown-up who works from home and runs my own business. Right. Um, that's really a challenge. And it's something I hear over and over and over again from adult women in particular, who's most of who I talk to, maybe adult men have the same problems, but how do we make friends? Mm-hmm. How do I show up in someone's life and say, like, do you want to play with me? <laughs> Can you come out and play today? Yeah. Yeah. So I think having something like an improv group is a fantastic way to do it, especially if, like you said, you know that the people who are doing this thing are good, open, they're good conversationalists they, right. and all of those, all of that. Yeah. And I, and now that I've been going to classes and events at the theater for a while, um, sometimes I'll just go there by myself and I find people to hang out with and and that's something I've I don't think I've ever really had before. That's massive for someone who has um, struggled with social anxiety and generalized right. anxiety to just go do something by yourself and then yeah. make friends when you're there. Yeah. Just I'm like yeah. giving you praise hands. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Plant one seed in the hearts, minds, or spirits, or all three of the people who are listening. I want you to, in the spirit of improv, uh, try to reach out to somebody today. Like, try to make a connection. Even if the only place you go is a grocery store and you have to talk to the the clerk, like try to have a yes and conversation. Um, Because I think those kinds of conversations are more important than we think. And if somebody's feeling down or like an outcast or something, then that will give them a lift and it'll give you a lift. I think I needed to hear that today in particular. Thank you for that. I'm thinking I have, there's a pet store in town that I don't know where they find these people, but they hire the nicest, mm-hmm. the nicest flipping people in the entire world. They you walk in and they're friendly and they like care about you. And most of the time I show up and I'm like, I just need a hundred pounds of chicken feed. I don't want to have a conversation and I'm not, but hearing what you just said, I should respond to that. I should allow that friendliness in more often than I do. And then if I, and now I'm just like, oh, and then if I responded with a yes and attitude, then, oh my gosh, we could have like the nicest, we could be like the nicest people on the earth in that moment if we were just continuing to yes and each other. Right. (laughs) And then another thing I found with that, because I didn't used to do that either, is I always find out something that I didn't know before. And it's usually something that's really interesting that could spark an idea for a book or a character or, or something. Do you so, have an example? Um, I can't think of a specific <laughs> example, but I know it's happened. Um, <laughs> like, like I say, 
oh, this, I always, like I, I buy some goldfish food and I say, oh, I have to, my cat knocked the other goldfish can under something and I can't find it. And then they feed me like something about them, like, oh, my cat stole um, a chicken bone one time and she brought it in from whatever, from a neighbor's house. And then she brought me a sock and, you know, so then that might spark an idea for like a picture book about a cat who does that, or it just might inspire a kind of a domino effect of other ideas. Mm-hmm. Or they just share something about themselves, but some kind of insight that you didn't even, I don't even know if they're, they know that they're sharing something that deep and it just makes you feel connected. And it also selfishly as a writer gives you <laughs> material. Yeah. Um, that's not really what I'm aiming for. I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to like talk to people <laughs> so I can dig stuff out of them. But it's just like a nice benefit that I hadn't ever considered or known about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. What a fantastic thought. So the seed is have a yes and conversation. Yes. Gorgeous. Awesome. Well, Margaret Dillaway, thank you again so much for your time this morning. Um, if people who are listening want to follow you, they want to find out about your books, they want to learn about upcoming release dates and whatnot, or they want to hire you to do something, or they want to see your improv shows, how can they find you? They can find me on margaretdillaway.com or just uh, search... Yeah, Margaret Dillaway on Facebook, and uh, you can follow my author page. That's where I post all my events um, and updates. And yeah, perfect. Go ahead and do that. And again, we've got Summer of a Thousand Pies coming out this month, and then next year. Remind me again the full title of next one. Five things about Ava Andrews. Perfect. That I will definitely be adding to my list and checking out because I'm really excited about it. I'm grateful for your time. Um, I know this is cutting into your writing time, so I really super do appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Wasn't that just wonderful? That's what I've got for you today. Remember to hit that subscribe button and tell your favorite people about this podcast so they can subscribe too. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do that on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast and on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or if you know someone who would make a wonderful podcast guest, please introduce me. Send an email to podcast at emilystamets.com. I am so excited to meet them. All right, until next time, stand confidently center stage, say yes and at the most delightfully unexpected moments, and enjoy your show.